Hi, this is Dee, and you're listening to my podcast, Let Me Clear My Throat. Um, on my last podcast, I talked about um, different types of uh, incidences with felons and people that are um, convicted. Uh, we talked a little bit about criminal law, civil law, violent crimes, um, and things of that nature. Basically, uh, touching base on the limitations and roadblocks that people have when they are released from incarceration, whether it be from jail or prison. Um, they are two different things, but um, a lot of people might not realize um, the severity of one's convictions on how much of a toll that takes on them for the rest of their life. Um, and in my last podcast, we touched on um, how is society when somebody does their sentence and their prison term um, and they their sentence is served, they are released from um, being incarcerated out into society. And they are, when they are in prison, in jail, they do different programs. And a lot of them uh, find God. They're baptized. They try to turn their lives around. They want to do better. Um, and they do a lot of... Um, programs in there and sometimes they get degrees in the hopes of being able to come out and be able to change their life and have a fresh start and a lot of times I feel like a lot of times the system neglects to tell people that are coming out of from being incarcerated that why they offer programs and stuff like that out there that um, it's going to be pretty difficult for some, if not almost impossible, feeling uh, to be able to um, apply those types of degrees and programs and rehabilitation that they've done back into society's world. Um, and I say society's world because a lot of times I feel like people come out of prison and they are continue to be prosecuted by society to repeatedly do time for their crime even though they are not behind bars and what I mean by that is a lot of times people find difficulty getting a job finding housing getting a vehicle um, being able to um, get good credit you know credit cards you know credit standing um, some may even have a difficulty to get their license back and sometimes they will go and they'll get a degree in a certain area um, or whatever, and then they'll get out and they'll find it almost impossible to find a job in that area they got their degree in because that sort of employer, per se, doesn't hire felons. So a lot of times it's a big, huge struggle as somebody coming out of the system to try to stay encouraged and stay on the right path, if you will, to want to do better and turn their life around when there just seems to be so many obstacles in their way that it's just a continuous domino effect. And then finally, they end up either back in the system or, um, or worse. And there needs to be something done as a whole um, in order to try to come together um, to help to look at these look at these individuals that come out and try to help them um, and stop looking at them as still a criminal their time is served and they should not come out of the system still marked as um, 
someone who basically should not have just as much chance to turn their life around as what, say, you and I do. And uh, I do know that there are a lot of sensitive areas in this, and I understand that this is a pretty touchy situation and subject for a lot of people. Um, I've had um, some very close people in my life and in my family um, and dear to my heart that have been in the system and continue to struggle um, with this area. And I know that there is a program I found, I talked about this in my last podcast as well, um, that the government has, actually they have a few of them, um, but this one here, <laughs> I just had it in my hand. <laughs> um, this one here is basically, <sighs> I literally just had this in my hand, now I'm like looking around for it. I apologize. <laughs> here it is. <laughs> um, it's called the Federal Bonding Program. And the Federal Bonding Program, and I'm going to touch base on this again a little bit, and then we're going to get into my subject for this round. The Federal Bonding Program is something that basically um, somebody goes out and they apply for a job. And it's in some areas, they have what they call a black box law, which means that they the little box in the corner that says, have you been convicted of a crime? Some areas, I'm not for sure exactly when, or not when, where and how many of them, but there's some areas where it is illegal to have that box on that application. So you might check in your area to see if that box is even relevant for you to even check off. Um, In this program, the federal bonding program, um, basically when somebody goes and applies for a job and let's hypothetically say um, you get hired, they're not supposed to ask you about your criminal background until a job offer is made. Um, And then when a job offer is made, they are allowed to do a background check at that time. But they should be able to give you the opportunity to explain yourself on why your background check came back the way it was. Now, having said that, if the employer decides to hire you, the federal bonding program, what it does is that it provides a fidelity bond money, basically it pays money to the company. Um, I think it's like, if I read correctly, like 10, 10 days or something um, after the hire date. Um, hold on, let me see if I can find it here in my notes real quick. I apologize. Mm, I'm just trying to refresh up on my notes. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, where did I see this at? Okay, what is going to hypothetically say? I don't know because I can't find that and I don't want to have you sitting here listening to me rummaging through papers. I think it's 10 days. Um, yeah, it is. I found it. Here it is. So basically what it says is um, the bond will be applied to any job with the employer in any state at no risk and no cost to the employer or the employee that's wanting to be hired. Um, it can be full-time, part-time, temporary, Um, As long as they have federal taxes taken out, the coverage begins once an applicant receives a job offer and supports employees who have federal taxes automatically deducted from their pay. The bond will be sent to the employer within 10 business days. The amount of the bond coverage that is paid to the employer is for the employee's first six months of employment to protect the employer against theft, forgery, larceny, and embezzlement. 
So basically, for the first six months of your employment with this employer, this your job basically is secured based off of this money that they're going to get paid, like an incentive. So you basically have six months to come in there and show them what you got. And, they, and it, depending on the job and uh, different types of things, I don't have the exact formalities of exactly how they compute how much money, but it gives an example of anywhere between $5,000 and $25,000 paid to the employer. And um, you can also purchase um, these bonds to cover employees that are already employed um, who need bonding maybe to prevent being laid off or secure a transfer or promotion to a job, um, you know, within the current employer. And I have that phone number. Um, so that way if, um, you know, you want to call and check on it or whatever, it, it, and, or when you go and get uh, hired or you go to a job interview, if it gets into a conversation where you feel the need to bring it up, then at least you have this information. And for also, too, it might also make you look like you are very prepared for your interview. And you have this information that you can be able to give to your potential employer. Um, might also be helpful for you and them as well. So it's kind of a win-win situation. And at the same time, it gives you six months to get in there to bust your behind and show them what kind of person an employer or employee, um, rehabilitated employee that you're going to be. And so you go in there and you show them what you got. And so, but the, I'll give you the phone number. The phone number is 800-233-2258. Again, that's 800-233-2258. And that is the federal bonding program. So, um, we are at 10 minutes and about 4 seconds in this, so if you need to rewind for that phone, uh, that phone number, that is where about I am at. So, continuing. Um, today's topic, we're going to keep continuing to spin off of the same subject, being prosecuted outside of the system. So, this um, episode, we're going to talk about convicted felons. And basically, what is a convicted felon? Um, what are the penalties for felony charges? What is the difference between a felony arrest and a felony charge? Um, do convicted felons have rights? Um, and some, uh, you know, they have the right to drive, um, and also some other things. By no means am I trying to give any legal advice at all in any of this. It is always important to make sure that you talk to someone that you trust in the legal uh, area. And like I said in my last podcast, it's, it's, I have a little bit of a biased opinion, I guess, if you will, on prosecuting attorneys. And I know there are some really great ones out there, and by no means I'm not trying to put anybody down. But I also know that prosecuting attorneys um, are paid for by the court. And I feel like if somebody is going to go to court and be appointed an attorney, they should be able to pick what attorney they want from a non biased um, group of individuals because you're going to have somebody come in and represent you in court and I'm not saying they don't have your best interest at heart but I'm just saying to be all fair I think my opinion 
it should be somebody, a third party, that is not affiliated with the court and is not being a paycheck by the court. Just my opinion. That being said, we're going to continue. <clears throat> so I printed this off off a legal match um, because um, I wanted to make sure that I had um, adequate resources and stuff, and I always like to cite um, where I found my resources. So this is off a legal match. Um, so at the top, I'm going to read it and out to you, and you're going to hear it as I'm reading it. Um, so we're going to do this together. <laughs> um, so it basically says, what is a convicted felon? A convicted felon is an individual who has been convicted or found guilty of committing a felony. The term convicted felon often refers to individuals who have already finished serving their prison sentence and have reintegrated into the community. So basically, this is someone who's been convicted, found guilty, committing, uh, committed, uh, of committing the crime, served time, and uh, finished serving their time and was released back into society. <clears throat> Felony convictions, however, tend to stay on an individual's criminal record much longer than a misdemeanor conviction. They are also more difficult to have cleared or expunged from an individual's record. There are often places where individuals are required to indicate whether they have convicted a felony, such as when applying for a job, housing, or other things that require applications. Do convicted felons have uh, restricted rights? In some circumstances, but not always, convicted felons may have some of their civil rights restricted. This will depend on the laws of the state, which may vary. For example, some states restrict the voting rights of convicted felons. Other states make it illegal for convicted felons to possess a firearm or even body armor. Now, I touched base on this a little bit in my other podcast. I have a lot of mixed opinions on this because, like I had said before, you got people that go in there and they're, they're, they're felons, okay? Let's just say... Hypothetically, you have two felons in there, and one is in there for a nonviolent crime, say, um, back child support. And the other person is in there for, say, um, armed robbery. Now, you got they're both felons. One is behind a child support, and one is an armed robber. Both of their rights are equally restrictive on them now because they're both classified as felons. Now, obviously, someone who is behind on child, back child support is not a violent felon, but an armed robber is considered a violent felon. But yet, both of their felony, their rights across the board, their voting rights, um, their restrictions on housing and jobs and other, you know, driving privilege, child custody, visitations, um, all of that becomes restricted and a lot of their amendment rights are taken from them and depending on what state you live in depends on how severe or how much of your rights are taken from you and one example I gave in my last podcast what excuse me podcast was say you have you're a parent and you have this type of thing let's say twins okay you have two we're just gonna say guys you have two guys 
Everyone's twins, we can have one boy and one girl. Okay, so we're not sexist here. So we have two fraternal twins. Now, one twin lives in one state where um, pot marijuana is legal. You have the other twin lives in another state where it's not. Now, the person who lives in the state that it is can do it freely and not be arrested and not have any uh, anything on their criminal record or anything. It's, it's all fine and dandy. The one who lives in the state that it's not legal gets arrested, convicted, serves time, and now has a criminal background because they're in a different state. The same, the same scenario, but a different state. And the government, I feel like, tries to capitalize on everything, basically. <laughs> I mean, hey. Um, but, you know, they, they make it very difficult for natural, man-made, um, God-given, you know, growth on the earth, however you want to put it. But instead, they want to be able to make synthetic versions of it, sell it at a gas station, make it legal, and monopolize off of it. But say if somebody has it naturally, they know it's illegal. And depending on what state you're in, it depends if it's illegal. So they would rather have things that are made backyard chemists, if you will, or things brought in across the borders or even within the borders. They don't even need to be brought over the border. I'm sure there's plenty here within the border. And they're being, they are being contaminated. They are being t um, tainted in things that otherwise should not have to be altered and not be made into something synthetic, synthetic man-made, and killing people out there and it's just it's just there's no sense in that and you've got somebody that goes to the gas station and will buy something over the counter you don't even know what it is half the things you can't even pronounce on whatever that is on the container and depending on your body genetics your type of medication you're on uh, any types of herbs or supplements you're on um, your metabolism, um, your hormone level, depends on a lot of factors of yourself as an individual and what chemicals you already have, um, either natural or unnatural that you're putting in your body, will have an effect over that item that you just bought over the counter of things that you can't even pronounce. And so you don't really know what kind of effect that's going to have on you. Say you're out operating a vehicle or you're taking care of your child or a loved one or even just yourself. You know, you hear people all the time saying, oh, I'm going to go have me a gummy. I'm going to have me an edible or, you know, whatever the case may be. And you buy them over the counter and it's okay. But if you go and make something natural and not have a bunch of additives, it's against the law. And then you get arrested, and then all of a sudden now you're a convicted felon, depending on the magnitude of what you got. Some things are misdemeanors, but still, you still have a criminal record. And depending on what state you live in, on how severe those charges are, you know, and it's, it's I believe things should be, should be consistent. We are in the United States. Uh, we are in the United States. I'm from the United States. In the United States, we have 
the Bill of Rights. We had the Constitution. We had the Declaration. We have, you know, we have guidelines and things that we are privileged to with us just being Americans. From the men and women who have given sacrifices of their own life and their own well-being to be able to make that possible for us as Americans. Those rights that we have should not be able to be allowed to be manipulated because it's across the state border of another state. It should be across the line. It's a whole country. It's a country. And the Constitution doesn't say, oh, and by the way, state of blah, blah, blah needs to have this right removed. It should be across the border, no pun intended, of every single state for the whole country, in my opinion. I hope that makes sense. In my head, it makes sense, um, which is kind of scary sometimes, but hey. <laughs> um, so anyway, I'm going to continue on here. Sorry if I get a little loud. Um, sometimes I get a little loud when I get a little passionate about things. So if my voice raises, um, I apologize. <laughs> um so anyway, it says, um, in other situations, a felony conviction may affect an individual's rights in the terms of employment, driving privileges, child custody, child visitation, and other areas. Now let's say you get out of prison because you're back on child support, okay? You fell on hard times. We all fall on hard times. The way of the world, the economy, anything and everything is very difficult nowadays to be able to earn a living um, because everything is so monopolized and such a big huge um, mockery of everybody else's um, you know everybody's always trying to get ahead and they don't care who they're stepping on and, and I don't mean that to everybody but these these companies out here are just they Okay, like for instance, we have a mom-and-pop gas station here where I live. I live out by the country. We have a mom-and-pop gas station. And I go to this place. They know who I am when I go in there, okay? Um, we live in a very small town. And I heard that they're going to be putting in a franchise gas station across the interstate from this small mom-and-pop gas station. Why? I have lived out here most all of my life and the closest gas station prior to this was 10 miles away okay now this mom and pop gas station here is only um, four miles from me I believe okay now they're wanting to put a big franchise gas station at that exit so it's gonna do what to the mom and pop gas station? Why does that company who has so many franchises need to take business away from this mom and pop gas station? What is the purpose of that? And it's it that stuff like that infuriates me. Now, will I go to this other gas station? I might go in there on occasion, depending on what they have, as opposed to mom and pop. But no, my loyalty will stay at that one gas station that I've been going to. Because I have no reason to go over there. Unless it's something that they may have that I need that the other gas station doesn't. But that would be few and far between. I, I'm going to continue to support my my small mom and pop gas station. Just my opinion. But let's say hypothetically, you, you're in there for back child support, okay? You fell in hard times. 
And so you got behind on child. Now, I do know that there are some people out there that are so far behind on child support, it's ridiculous. And on, I listen to people all the time saying, and, and I'll say, my parents were notorious for this. I don't know if you listen to my other podcasts and stuff. I've opened up before. I've been very candid about my life. I've wrote down crying quite a few times in a lot of my podcasts. Um, and I've, I've basically have just been an open book. Um, but, you know, back in the day, back in my day, when they still handed money straight to the other parent, um, and it didn't go through the court system, um, things were a lot different. And, but yet they weren't like my dad would, um, he would write out a check and you know, there, there's three of us, there's three girls and he had to pay a hundred dollars, um, to my mother for the three girls. And, uh, we would see him every other weekend. So he would go to write or uh, hand me the check. And he'd be like, oh, hold on a minute, I forgot something. And he wanted the check back. And I would hand the check back to him, and he'd wad it up. And he'd say, okay, now hand it to her. And he would always say, um, whatever your mom buys for Christmas or your birthdays, um, they're for me as well because she took my child support and bought it. So that was our Christmas and our birthdays because he gave my mom $100 for three kids. Then, therefore, he paid for everything. That's $33 a kid. So, you know, and then he's like, well, whatever she does, you know, the food that she puts in the house, you know, all the stuff that she goes and does or whatever, I pay for that. Your $33 only goes so far. Now, you want me to go and get an itemization of the electricity, the clothes, the school activities, um, haircuts, uh, entertainment, food, um, shoes, school supplies, um, birthdays and Christmas. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on. You want an itemized bill? I guarantee your $33 doesn't pay a smidge of what that is. But more and more times, people... Now I say this because in respect, I, <laughs> I'm not trying to offend anybody, but at the same time, this, I look at it from, I've been on both sides. Um, I have not had to pay child support, but I've been a single mother and I've raised my, raised my kids and I've got my child support. Uh, but I've also been, been a child that has been in the, in the child support system. Now, my older sister she has three girls, and she has two two dads. Um, none of them pay child support, and uh, one of them was actually a sheriff. <laughs> one of the dads was a sheriff, and he actually got put in jail for being back on child support. And um, So I know how difficult it is because I've watched my sister struggle to raise her girls by herself with no help from the father or whatever. Now, um, me, I personally feel that if, and I say um, custody goes on both sides. 
because you have the male and the female. It's just and nowadays things have changed so much. So we're just going to say the other parent that doesn't have custody of their child. Um, I feel like I know this is going off subject a little bit, but um, as long as a parent is attempting to try, I think that says way more than a parent who doesn't. Because at the end of it all, when child support runs out and the child is 18, they still need their parent. They need their parent more than they need that money. And let's hypothetically say, I'm going to go back onto the subject. Somebody's back on child support, so they're in jail. And uh, they come out. They're expected to get a job, get a place to live. Um, their license is probably going to be suspended um, because of, of fees and whatnot. Sometimes some places put a lien um, on your vehicle, but it's also difficult to go get a loan if you have a felony. Um, so it's difficult for you to get a, a vehicle, but yet they expect you to get a job, get a place to live, and get back and forth to work. But yet you have difficulty finding anybody to hire you, and anybody giving you a chance to have a place to live, and finding transportation on a license that you can't have and a vehicle that you can't buy to a job that won't hire you to a home that you can't go home to but hey make sure you stay up to date on those child support payments and that's man or woman that makes that makes no sense to me that is just and i'm not trying to say that there aren't parents out there that just don't care about their children because there are I know there are, and I, that saddens me so much. But I know that there are parents out there that have fell hard on their ways, or maybe they've had to grow up over the years and have run into obstacles or whatever the case may be. There are different scenarios across the board. But when you are trying to take on your responsibilities and do right, it makes it very difficult to do when you're continuously paying for that crime over and over again, and I'm not talking financially, I'm talking about you've served your time, you're trying to make your payments, why do we as society make it more difficult for you to be able to be rehabilitated but be able to start your life over? I hope that all makes sense. Um, and maybe I'm talking in circles. I'm very passionate about this, and I've... I've I defended a lot of um, people that I've known in the past. And, you know, in the sense of <sighs> a child needs their parents. They need their parents. But they need their parents to be able to handle being a parent. And when you are struggling to try to find a job, try to find a home, put your life together, you've served your time, you're coming out, you're trying to do the right things, you're trying to dot your I's and cross your T's, you're trying to be that right kind of person, that, you know, and when you come out and you run into all these roadblocks, 
and all this stuff that discourages you and and makes you feel inadequate as a provider, as a human being, um, and all these things that you had been so gung-ho on and, and hope and anticipation of finally having a chance to turn your life around and actually make something out of your life to come out and feel everything but that. And um, now my heart goes out to people that have to go through. Nobody should have to feel that way. But a child deserves to have their parents. Money should not be used as a leverage to see the other parent. That's something between you and the court system, not not on the child. But if you get behind your child support, it's very difficult for you to get ahead when you see no opportunities that are available, resources that are available for you to do that. So it's, it's really a catch-22. It's really difficult. So I'm going to finish on reading here. I'm not trying to get caught up on just the back child support. But that's just something as an example, as opposed to somebody with an armed robbery. Because you've got somebody who has, you know, back child support, and you've got somebody who's an armed robbery. You know, the, the person back on back child support, they lose their, their right to vote, right to sit on a jury, uh, right to have a gun. Why? Because they're back on back child support? It's not a violent crime. What's a gun got to do with it? What's what's being able to vote and sitting on jury got to do with being back on child support? I, I, you know, and, and I know every case is different, and maybe it, there are other cases out there that are not uh, violent crimes that are felonies. Now, the armed robbery one, I can see why they don't need to own a gun. <laughs> I can understand that part. <laughs> um, but you know what? In today's world, they might not legally be able to own a gun, but they're going to own a gun. Because nowadays they have it to where I guess you don't even have to have a gun permit to have a gun. So how are you really keeping track of it? You know, it's okay. Moving on here. <laughs> so it says, what are some um, common types of felonies? Common examples of felony charges include felony and assault and battery, grand theft charges, drug crimes, felony drunk driving or felony DUI, various homicide charges, and sexual assault crimes. Now, those are some examples of felonies, but obviously there's more than just that. Um, so, okay. It says, what is the difference between a felony arrest and a felony charge? Every state has its own law regarding what offenses are classified as felonies as opposed to misdemeanors. Felony crimes are, in general, crimes that are punishable by more than one year in prison. A misdemeanor crime, on the other hand, is typically punishable by less than one year in a country or a state jail facility. There are also notable differences between a felony arrest and a felony charge. A felony arrest occurs when law enforcement takes an individual into custody on suspicion that they have committed a crime. A felony arrest may happen before or after a felony charge is issued against the individual. A felony charge is what state or starts the formal legal proceedings 
against the defendant or the individual who is accused of committing the felony crime. The district attorney brings formal charges against the defendant before the court. The exact felony charge charging procedure typically varies from state to state. Generally, however, there are two different procedures that may be used, including the grand jury and the prosecutor's complaint. The grand jury is a group of ordinary citizens who are picked to be part of a jury. They are presented with evidence against the defendant. The grand jury uses that evidence to determine whether or not the defendant should be charged with a crime. This is not a determination of guilt, but rather a determination of whether there is enough evidence to bring the defendant to trial. In states that do not use the grand jury system, they will use a document written by the prosecutor that ex um, accuses the defendant of the crime. This is called an information or a complaint. This document is presented to the court. In order to ensure that there is enough evidence to go to trial, the court holds a preliminary hearing. During this hearing, the court examines and considers all of the available evidence and uses that evidence to determine whether or not the defendant should go to trial. Now, I said this before in one of my other podcasts, and I know this is like a fine line, okay, because I know there are times, you know, it's supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. But a lot of times I feel like it's guilty regardless if you're proven innocent. Because a lot of times people go in and they get arrested and automatically that has already been implanted in somebody else's mind uh, that somebody thought that they did this crime. So even if they're proven innocent, they're still going to be looked at as a guilty party in some way, shape, or form by somebody. But a lot of times, too, people sit in jail, one, because they don't have bail money to bail themselves out. But also, too, they sit in jail to wait to go to court. So let's say, hypothetically, somebody goes to court. They don't have the bail money to get bailed out, okay? So they have to sit in jail. And sometimes they sit in jail 30, 60 days, 6 months, whatever. I've known somebody, I've known a couple people, actually, um, that sat in jail for two and a half years before they went to court. Two and a half years they sat in jail. Before their court, their their trial or their hearing, their sentencing was two and a half years. They waited to be tried and sentenced. Now, if somebody sits in jail and doesn't get money to bail out, and then when they go to trial, it's either dismissed or they're found not guilty, and they're released. Now, they were sent in jail for all this time, and they get nothing in return. Time of their life gone. And I know it's a, it's a touchy situation because you have a criminal, a potential a criminal, that is sitting in jail. Some of them lose their home. Some of them lose their family. Some of them lose their, their jobs because they're sitting in jail. <clears throat> They get out of jail because they're found not guilty or the charges are dismissed because there's not enough evidence or whatever the case may be. So now this person, let's hypothetically say they sent in jail for six months or let's just say 30 days. They sent in jail for 30 days. That's 30 days of their life they can't get back. 
Now, I know I understand that there's a point in the system and whatever that has to go a certain way, but looking at it from the perspective of both parties, I don't really think that that's fair. Because unless they are proven guilty, why aren't they compensated for their time of their innocence? I, I mean, I don't know exactly how that works, but this is time in their life they cannot get back. And if they're innocent, then they should be treated as such. I mean, I'm, I, you know, again, I'm not an attorney, but it kind of raised some questions, in my opinion, you know, on how that goes. So, um, it says, what are the penalties for a felony charge? Generally, a felony offense, depending on whether it is state or federal offense, will carry a minimum sentence of one year in prison. Federal, federal felony charges are divided into categories and classes that depend on the severity of the crime. If the felony offense results in the death of another individual or in a serious bodily injury, the charge will be more severe than that of other offenses. There are certain theft and property crimes that may result in felony charges in the t if the total value of the property that exceeds a stolen, uh, let me finish, sorry, let me read that. There is a certain theft and property crimes that may result in felony charges if the total value of the property that is sto stolen exceeds a certain amount. In some states, the limit is as low as $300, while in other states, the limit is 1000 Again, why can't it be the same across the board? If it's a felony charge, depending on whether or not uh, it's going to be severe, will depend on how much they stole of the value. And it ranges between 300 to 1000 Okay, we're moving on. <laughs> I just, I don't understand why different, I, and I understand that some, you know, there's different laws, state laws and whatnot, but when it's federal, you know, I say federal, but you would think the laws would be consistent. You, you would think that you would not have to memorize what the law is as dependent on what state you're in. You would think that the laws would be consistent in a country that's supposed to be one with the constitution rights that are supposed to be a whole across the whole country and not individualized by the state property lines that's my thought do convicted felons have rights as noted above the rights of convicted felons may be restricted if an individual has been convicted of a federal or state felony, they may experience a loss of certain rights. <clears throat> In addition, their conviction may carry with a series of condition, conditions. These restrictions and conditions vary based on the jurisdiction and the nature of the offense. Common rights that are lost by convicted felons include the right to vote, the right to serve as a juror, the right to possess a firearm or body armor, and the right to drive. In addition, common conditions that are associated with felony convictions include drug and alcohol treatment, registration as sex offender, and drug testing. <clears throat> so again, we talk about rights being taken away from felons. Now when, and I brought this up in my other podcast, 
you know, when somebody goes and they get, let's say they get sentenced, okay, and say somebody goes in there and like, hey, we're going to give you 10 years. We're just going to throw a number out there, 10 years. Now, you're going to have, have to do um, half that. So, you're going to do five years, uh, sir, you know, in, um, and then the rest could be, let's just hypothetically say probation, okay? <clears throat> now, then they're going to say you're going to have to do uh, treatment, let's just say have to have drug and alcohol treatment classes. And you're going to be on probation, so you're going to have to do drug testing and stuff. Nowhere in there, in your conviction, do they put in there, you're also going to be sentenced to no right to vote, no right to serve on a jury, no right to have a firearm, no right to drive, no right to have a decent job, no right to have um, an adequate place to live, no, uh, no right to be able to... Um, you know, get a loan for a car or, or whatever the case may be. They don't put this down there because you're being convicted of that. The, you're be, in your conviction, those are part of your sentence requirements too. So why isn't that put in there? Why, why isn't that a part of your conviction? Because you're going to be sentenced, and when you, but they forget to tell you, this is your conviction when you get out. This is what your your sentencing is going to be when you get out of the system. You're not going to be able to vote. You're not going to be able to have, be on a jury. You're not going to be able to have a gun, or you might not be able to drive or get a job or have a place to live or, you know, whatever. This is your sentence after you get out of the system. But while you're in the system, you're going to be rehabilitated. You're going to be able to get um, educated and maybe get a degree. You're going to be able to. Um, you know, make it right with the Lord and go to church and do what you're supposed to do. Maybe even be baptized. You're going to be a mentor. You know, you're a variety of things. You're like, hey, we're going to make you rehabilitate and make you a decent person back and re be able to redeem yourself back into society. And then they open the doors and they send you on your way to society. This is hold up. Now we're going to prosecute you out here for your crime that you did there to be put in there. Your time is served, but you're still going to be prosecuted out here and still held liable and continue to be charged repeatedly because that's just what we do. And that's kind of where I have a hang-up on that. I just... You know, and I said this on my other podcast, and I know some people don't believe in God, um, but I do. And I know there are a lot of people out there that do get rehabilitated, that do try to start over, that are very sincere on trying to make their life better. And I know there are people out there that want to and don't know how to, and they get discouraged and they fall back into the system. And then I know that there are people out there that have no desire and don't give a shit. They just straight up don't care. And they will continue to be in the life of violence. They will continue to be slinging. They will continue to be in and out of the system and whatever. They don't care. And I understand there are people like that. However, 
there's a root to the problem of why it all started in the first place. And whatever the case may be, but everybody, I don't care who it is, deserves a chance at life, deserves to not feel like a worthless nothing, deserves to be able to not have their human dignity ripped from them continuously and continuously, repeatedly be prosecuted for their crime over and over and over again, even when they're outside of the prison walls. And I always say, if God can forgive them, why can't we? Why can't we help them? Why, you know, we as taxpayers are repeatedly paying for their housing, for their things that they go, and it's a big, huge monopoly. And, and these companies that monopolize on people being sentenced and behind bars to the families that have to uh, pay the commissary, pay for their um, phone, pay for the visitation, pay for the, the grill or, or whatever, buy stamps, write letters back and forth. They monopolize on it to the families that have to make sure this happens for their incarcerated loved one that they have. And there's usually only one choice, so you have no choice of, of who you want to pick because this particular jail or prison um, only handles with this one particular company. And, you know, I've had um, four very close people to me all in prison at the same time, different prisons, and they all had different companies that were responsible for getting, you know, whatever, the commissary and whatnot off of them. Um so keeping up with each one of them was crazy. But it's also very expensive. And if you're already having a hard time, because um, now, you know, the income is going to go down to one because the other person that probably was the provider is now sitting behind bars. So this other person is left to try to figure out how to take care of the family. Um, plus, on top of that, try to keep up with making sure their loved one that's incarcerated doesn't go stir crazy and has their means and their necessities, but also too, um, trying to also give you the opportunity as the outsider, not sitting in there, to be able to have some type of sanity yourself because you're missing your loved one. So, you know, trying to make sure you catch that call or get that letter or send that letter out or put money on their books, you know, and, you know, whatever the case may be, it's very difficult to do. So if you're already struggling and then you've got the person incarcerated that is like, you know, you know, baby, I'm, I'm, I'm getting my stuff together. I'm taking these classes. I'm going to get out. I'm going to get me a job. We're going to do this, this, and this. And they have all these plans, you know, and they may even talk about maybe getting married. Maybe they're not married. They're going to talk about getting married. they got all these plans of what they're going to do. And then the sentence is served. That beautiful day comes. You pick up your loved one from jail. And immediately they're so excited, so hyped up, that they're ready to go out there and try to find them a job. And, you know, they need to get this, this, and that, you know, things in order. And then, nope. Nope. They run into roadblocks. They run into um, people that automatically judge them on a path that they don't even know anything about and don't even give them a chance to even explain themselves.
Maybe they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe they were going through something and didn't make the best decision. Maybe they were immature. Maybe it was just a stupid thing they did. Maybe they have no uh, explanation. Maybe they don't even remember it happening. Whatever the case may be. But people don't give them a chance to explain that. People don't give them a chance to walk out those prison doors and have a chance at having a chance. And I'm not saying that all people are like this, because I know there are places out there that do give them chances. I know there are places out there that only hire felons. But I am a part of some uh, groups and stuff that um, I, I'm involved with a lot of homeless people, and I have a homeless uh, group page, and I know a lot of organizations and stuff. And one of the biggest questions on there is finding a, a landlord or a place that will rent to a felon or a place that will hire. They can't find a place to live and they can't find a job. And there are so many of them that are homeless. And then on top of that, you have veterans that are veterans that come out and they're, they are put in the system. They go, they're behind bars. They come out and they are homeless or they've gotten in trouble and they've gotten arrested for whatever the case may be. And I, people that know me, <laughs> I'm very passionate about our veterans and our servicemen and women. And I say repeatedly, I'm an American, proud American, not because of our government. I'm a proud American because of our men and women who make me an American and give me the opportunity to be one. That is why I'm proud to be an American. I'm not proud because of our government. I'm ashamed of our government. Um... That's a whole different podcast. <laughs> but um, I'm very passionate when it comes to veterans. I'm very passionate when it comes to the homeless. And I'm very passionate when it comes to human beings being treated anything less than a human being. And we have a lot of veterans, a lot of felons that are homeless and have fallen into such um, devastating hard times because they have nowhere to go and they have nobody that'll give them a chance. So then all this um, reassurance and all this hope and all this hard work of rehabilitating themselves and putting their faith in themselves, probably something that they haven't really ever done before, and all gung-ho and ready to get going on it, and prove to the world and themselves that, they, hey, I can do it this time. Watch me. To have them the most lowest self-esteem and feeling like a worthless piece of poo. Because they're able to do everything but that. And that does something to somebody's mental state of mind. But it also, if you're trying to provide for your family, and it was working before, the only thing happened is you got caught. Now you're out in society and you're trying to stay within the law? What do you think they're going to do when it comes down to taking care of their families? They're going to do what they know what to do. They're going to take care of their families. 
even if it's the expense of ending back up behind bars. And it shouldn't have to be that way. It should not have to be that way. And at the end of it, you know who suffers? Everybody. We all do. It affects every single one of us. But if they have kids, if they have kids, what do you think that does to that child? What kind of life do you think that that child is going to be presented with? And it's devastating because some people have the biggest hearts for their children even when they don't have the biggest hearts for themselves. And when it comes to your child or your significant other, you're going to do what you got to do to provide for them at all costs. And just pray that you don't get caught again. And that's not the way somebody should have to live. That's not the way a child should have to have their parent gamble on. That's not fair. And as society, as taxpayers, wouldn't it be easier to give somebody a second chance on a job and help them that way than to continue having them in the system and having them that way? But, you know, with this program and stuff that I was reading about earlier, the federal bonding program. I'm not for sure on how many people know about this program, but I know there are additional programs out there. So if you are a felon or somebody, uh, an employer, do some research and see what the government actually has to offer for all this wonderful rehabilitation programs that they have. And put their money where their mouth is at. Put their money where their program's at. And not in their pocket, in yours. Give you a little bit of an incentive while giving somebody else a chance. You might just be surprised how much you teach each other. <sighs> Let me continue. Um, the right to vote. The right to vote, which is also referred as enfranchisement, is provided by to U.S. citizens 18 years or older to vote in national, state, or lo uh, local elections. A resident registers their address and receive a voting card. On election day, voters were, who are legally registered present their voting cards and receive a ballot to vote, vote. One of the felon restrictions convicted felons face is that they are not prevented to vote when they are incarcerated or on probation or parole. The severity of felon voting restrictions vary upon jurisdiction. In some states, for example, Florida forbids a convicted felon from voting the rest of their lives unless they receive a pardon by the governor and a majority of the legislature. Only Maine and Vermont allow convicted felons full state voting rights. Well, I'm going to say this. <laughs> the way our voting system is for our, some of our people in office, 
We need as many people as we can. And and I mean this with respect. Please don't be offended by me saying this, okay? Um, to anybody who has been arrested or incarcerated, I don't mean this as an insult to you. But wouldn't it make sense to have somebody who's been on the wrong side of the law and, and be crooks, more or less, to be able to recognize a crook? So, you know... And I don't want to try to classify felons and people that are incarcerated in the same classification as the government, but when it when it take one to know one, and I mean that with respect to felons and and people that are I don't mean that bad on your end. And I, like I said, please don't take it that way. But people that are from the life of crime and that know that shady side of life, wouldn't you think they would be able to recognize somebody a little bit better than say somebody else would? So why wouldn't you want them to vote? It might actually clean up some of the office. Just my opinion. Um, let's see. The right to serve as a juror. The right to serve as a juror and most common uh, of the rights lost after felony convictions. The restriction is practiced by a majority of states and federal courts. This means that a convicted felon is not permitted to sit on a jury in some states and all courts that are included in the federal legal system. This practice is allowed because the Superior Court of the United States has held that serving on a jury is not a fundamental right protected by the U.S. Constitution. Now, they want to play with this U.S. Constitution wording thing. It's, I guess it's not your, in your right of the U.S. Constitution to sit on the juror. Okay. But then they're going to take the U.S. Constitution and manipulate the other things that you should be able to have a right to. I it just... Like I said, I'm not a proud American because of our government. <laughs> the right to possess a firearm. The majority of states, in addition to the federal government, prohibit felons from possessi possessing any type of firearm. A felon in possession of a firearm faces heightened penalties, such as up to 10 years in federal prison. Some states, however, permit an individual, regardless of statute, to own a firearm. So again, it depends what state you live on, on whether allowed, you're allowed to have your constitutional right to own a gun. Because it depends on where you're at, I guess, on whether or not the Constitution applies to you. The right to drive. The state legislators are permitted to place reasonable restrictions on convicted felons' right to drive in order to promote the safety and welfare of the general public. A defendant who is convicted of serious traffic offenses, for example, reckless driving and driving under the influence, may lose their driver's license. Losing the right to drive often makes it difficult for a felon to commute. This uh, right, however, may be restored after the felon has served their sentence. If an individual has been convicted of a felony, they can consult with a convicted felon lawyer who can help them regain some of the rights that they had prior to their conviction. I do know that there is a hardship license. I think, you don't, if I'm not mistaken, it's like one time in your life. Um, and I think like um, an expungement, I think you can have like one, one thing, a sponge or something. Um, again, I'm not a lawyer, but um, I would definitely consult with a lawyer if you have some things going on, but make sure it's somebody that you feel comfortable with and trust, because um, it is your life. You know, it is your life, and it's it's time in your life that you can't get back, but it's also time in your life that you deserve to have 
justice and um, fair justice. But also, too, all parties involved deserve to have fair justice. So it's very difficult because attorneys are so expensive. So then you're like, well, you know, how much is your life really worth on staying out of, you know, prison for? Well, that's not fair. You know, your life is, is the most valuable thing that you have. And it's the most expensive thing to maintain. <laughs> so it's, you know, but if you do need a lawyer, um, there are lawyers out there that can help restore your rights. Uh, many states um, that allow convicted felons to restore their rights after they serve their sentence and satisfy any additional conditions, uh, for example, restitution or completing parole. Um, if you have been convicted of a felony or criminal um, a criminal defense lawyer can advise you of your rights that are affected in your state and whether they can be restored. Um, I think that our system <laughs> needs some rehabilitation of its own, honestly. And um, unfortunately, I don't think they care what society has to say. People that are working the government, um, it's a job. They go to work. They have a job. Their job is to maintain order of the country, to <laughs> monopolize off of it, to dictate our lives, to contradict their lives, um, however it works for them. Um, and go home. Now, I'm not saying all government officials are that way because I know there are some that really dedicate their life um, and take it very seriously on being where they are. And I know there are many, many men and women out there because of them that our country has not went um, in different directions because of their influence and because of them. And I do applaud them for the great things that they have done and accomplished for us as Americans and as human beings. And sometimes our country is only as good as the people that are running it. And I'll just leave that the way that is. Um, but that is all I'm going to talk about in this podcast. And I'm sorry if it's a little dry and scanty. Um, but I am doing um, a little bit of this, that, and the other in different directions of some of my podcasts. Um, I do have a YouTube channel. Um, I talked about this before in my last podcast. Um, it's the, um, the sign, the at sign, and then D-D-E-E, -E, let me clear my throat. Um, I do have a link on my YouTube that redirects back to my Podbeam. Um, so it is, um, they are linked together. Um, but also, too, not all of my podcasts are on YouTube because some of them are prior to me getting my channel activated, and I'm still trying to learn how to convert them over onto my YouTube channel. So um, until then, I have both, um, which I'm probably going to keep both, honestly, but eventually I'm going to try to um, do uh, videos 
um, I'm going to do pre-recorded videos instead of live streaming because, as I talked about before, uh, I do take care of my mom, and sometimes I have to stop what I'm doing to go take care of her. Um, so if I'm doing live streaming um, and I have to get up and leave the room, you're just going to be sitting here looking at, well, pretty much my craft room because that's the room I'm sitting in. Um, and then you can, like, um, I don't know. <laughs> stare at the chair that I'd be sitting on. So that really would be fair and cool. So if I do pre-recorded, um, obviously then I can just post it. But also too, I plan to eventually have some guests with me um, and have like conversations with other people so you don't have to just listen to my voice. Um, and if you have any thoughts, ideals, or suggestions, please feel free to comment them. I would be very interested in hearing from you. And again, I and apologize to anybody if I have uh, misdirected or missaid anything on this legal system error that we're in uh, conversation. Um, I have not been convicted of a crime. I have been in the prison, but on the other side. Um, and I have actually job shadowed for to be a correctional officer, um, as I call the in-between, between where you transition from the jail to the prison. Um, but for some things had come up in my life, and I did not take that job. Um, so, anyway, um, I did use to clean crime scenes for a living. So, I mean, I, I do know, um, I do know how a little bit of it kind of goes, but actually being the person that's behind a jail cell, behind the bars, being the one there that is, um, in your own solitary confinement of your mind, no, I cannot say that I understand that emotion. I cannot say that I can relate to that at all. Um, however, that does not mean that I um, do not believe that you do not have the right to be a free person, a free individual, when your sentence is over. When your sentence is done and completed, your time is done and completed, you should not be continue to be prosecuted outside of the cell walls, period, in my opinion. Um, your sentence stops, the judgment should stop. Nobody else in this world has the right to pass judgment and, pro and prosecute you and persecute you for a crime that they don't even really know anything about, but also to the time, time you've already served for it. You've already paid your dues for that crime. You should not have to continue to pay for that crime. It's, it's like a double jeopardy. You really should not have to continue to pay for that crime repeatedly. Your time is served. And we as society need to come together and realize that and try to be a part of the rehabilitation than trying to, you know, continue to put roadblocks in the way of other people's lives that are trying to do right by themselves. They're trying to do right by their mistakes. We all make mistakes in life. And, and, I'm, and again, I know every situation is different. But we all are human beings and we all make mistakes. We all make j bad judgments. We all do some very bad things. Unfortunately, some people get caught and some people don't. And I've said before, I believe there's a lot more innocent people sitting behind bars than there are outside of bars. So... But anyway, I'm going to end my podcast here. Um, if you are struggling with anything that is affecting your mind, I say this in every podcast I try to, please, please, please seek some help. 
um, reach out to somebody. I know it's easier said than done. Um, 988 is a suicidal prevention line, a helpline. Um, reach out to people that you trust. Um, there are people out there that care about you. Even at times that you want to give up and you don't care about you, please try to work through that the best you can um, and know that you are worth it. You matter and you are worth being here and upon this earth just as much as anybody else. And this world is a better place with you in it. Um, and if you have given your time to listen to me, I appreciate that. It's time in your life that you will not get back. And for that, I, from the bottom of my heart, I am very grateful for that, that you have given your time to dedicate it to listen to me. Um, so with that, I'm going to end this podcast tonight. And I hope everybody has a safe and blessed evening. And if you are somebody who has been tossed around in the system, um, please do research on trying to find some resources um, on different programs and stuff to help you um, to have a little bit more leverage in your life um, on times that um, you feel like you can't stand on your own, if that makes any sense. But... Um, Look into the federal bonding program, as long as some other programs that they have out there. I will continue to do some research and see if I can find some more. And if I do, I will definitely post it and let you guys know. So um, until the next podcast, again, thank you for your time and your dedication. And I hope everybody has a safe and blessed evening. You have been listening to D, and this is my podcast. Let me clear my throat. Have a safe and blessed night. Good night. <laughs>